Boom, what is happening beautiful people? Welcome to another show of Real Drug Talk. On today's show, we have something really different and interesting um, uh, and a bit taboo actually, so I'm excited to bring that to you guys. But first, um, if you're listening to this, you want some help with addictive patterns, but maybe you don't connect to the traditional approaches or you don't want to go away to rehab for 30, 60, 90 days, um, we might be able to help. Uh, So we run Connection-Based Living, which is our outpatient coaching program where we teach people how to break addictive patterns without going to rehab and without having to give up substances forever um, if that's the way that you want to go and and you want to make some changes but you don't want to completely have alcohol or other substances out of your life forever you want to change your relationship to it um, we we might be able to help Uh, so check out the links below www.connectionbasedliving have a click around have a bit of a read on the website book a free consultation. We'll see if we can help. If we can't, we'll point you in the right direction. Um, uh, but the biggest thing is is if you're looking for help and you feel like you haven't been connecting, don't give up. Um, there is other options and services out there like ours. Um, so we'd love to chat to you and, and see if we can be of any assistance. Okay, so in today's show, um, yeah, we've got Amanda Goff, um, also known as Samantha X. Um, yeah, really interesting show and chat. So Amanda was a, one of Australia's highest paid female sex workers um, and, you know, really kind of got into the business side of sex work in Australia. I believe she said that, um, you know, she was an escort herself, that she charged a lot of money for her services. Um, she was also a madam and, um, you know, managed other um, sex workers. And I think she also said that she had a, um, like a, a, a business, another business in the sex work industry, I believe like a um, sex uh, toys shop or, or something like that. So um, yeah, quite uh, knowledgeable in, in the, in the space and in the business side of it. Um, and yeah, just a really interesting chat and philosophy, you know, behind the whole, um, uh, I guess behind the whole ethical and, you know, cultural arguments and conversations and experiences around, um, you know, sex work in Australia, which, which is legal, you know, so really interesting, um, really interesting to hear her journey with it. And when she got sober as well, um, and then how it changed her outlook and, uh, you know, how it impacted all this other stuff with her mental health and how she got diagnosed and all this sort of stuff. So really great and interesting chat, um, with Amanda. I hope you guys enjoy it. Highly recommend giving her a follow on Instagram. She puts out some really interesting content, um, um, and yeah, I, I know like it's not something that people talk about a lot out in society, but I know there's a lot of people that, you know, kind of talk about it with mates or are engaged in this kind of thing. Um, so, so yeah, hope you uh, connect with the show. Hope it's interesting um, and hope it can kind of shine some insights for you guys as well. So give us some feedback on the shows that we're putting out. Uh, as you would have noticed, we're stepping up the content this year with Real Drug Talk. So hope you're enjoying all that. Um, and I'll stop banging on and let's get into the show. Have a good week, everybody. Peace. Okay, boom. Welcome everybody to another episode of Real Drug Talk. Hey, uh, very interesting person we've got on today with a very interesting story with some topics that, yeah, I'm excited to explore because, um, yeah, look, I'm, well, I don't think it's progressive, but, you know, I'm, I'm pretty progressive and, and feel like I'm going to hold some of the same beliefs. Um, but, you know, it's, it's something that's kind of getting more out there in society and there's more of a conversation around it, which is really good. So I'm excited. But, um, hey, we've got Amanda on today. How you going, mate? Oh, good, Jack. Thanks for having me. No worries. No worries. So what we might do, so this is Real Drug Talk. We talk about all things, drugs, alcohol, substances, everything mm-hmm. that kind of comes along with that, people's life stories. How do you fit into the picture in terms of this podcast? Essentially, why have I got you on and I'm talking to you? Give us the three-minute <laughs> snapshot of your story. Uh, because I was a pisshead party girl. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, Well, that's sort of true. Um, I was uh, drugs and alcohol, namely alcohol, become a problem for me. Yep. And um, I have been sober from alcohol for four years. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yes. So, so just quickly on that, sorry to interrupt. So mm-hmm. um, 
I is that English accent there? I just yes, I'm from London. Okay. So I'm from London, and I moved to Australia. Uh, what? 25 years ago or so so i've been here a long time so i feel i'm australian i've got an australian passport and you know yeah yeah awesome um and so where did things start going sort of really out of control with with alcohol for you like when did that kind of start Look, growing up, I mean, I took my first drink when I was probably 13, 14. And, you know, I lived in London and it, it didn't take long for me to start going to all the nightclubs in London with my girlfriends, all the house, you know, it's good fun, all the house clubs. Yeah. And, and, you know, those days we were pill popping and, and, and anything went really. Um, but I didn't start drinking alcoholically until I was in my 30s. So from the ages of sort of 15 to 30, you know, I had kids in between that. I had a career in journalism in between that. I, I sort of knew how to pull my head in. Yep. Um, and I wasn't fixated on drinking or anything like that. Uh, but it wasn't until things started to change in my life, my situation changed, um, that's when I started to use alcohol as a numbing tool. And that's when the problems came. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Okay, so mm. that's the substance side of it. What's the other big part of your story that a lot of people are always interested in and that you've written books about and, and things like that? <laughs> oh, just something very small, like becoming an escort and <laughs> like leaving, you know, leaving my partner, um, leaving my job as a journalist and becoming an escort uh, yep. and writing books about it. You know, something that happens to most people. <laughs> something a sober person probably wouldn't do. Um, but I did it no regrets yep. and I, you know I learned a lot on the way yeah so I yep. recently retired I retired about six months ago so I'm slowly you know edging away from the adult industry I had an escort agency I was madam uh too and I had an online adult store but yep. um in a nutshell after a diagnosis of bipolar which came as a welcome relief to be, yep. to be honest yep. and was only picked up because I was sober Mm. Um, I closed the door on it all and just said, I'm sick of my, my working name was Samantha X. And that's what I wrote my books under. That's who I wrote my books under, but I just yeah. thought I'm sick of being the Samantha. So I just yeah. walked away from it. Although I'm still Samantha deep down, but I, I walked away from it. <laughs> so, so, oh, there's so many ways that I want to go with, with all this. <laughs> so just quickly, actually though, um, we'll, we'll circle back to that. Cause I'm sure everybody just jumps straight into that, but. The bipolar yes, side. Yes, they of do. Thing. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Yeah. The, the bipolar sort of things. That's mm. side of things. That's that's really interesting. Like I know for me, um, uh, just recently, same thing. Had the same thing. Oh, really? And, and yeah, yeah. And I've been in recovery for uh, like eleven years now. Right. Um, and and anyway, there's just different things were going on and happening. And then and then mm. yeah, when I went, were you, and started, were you a male escort as well? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, that wasn't that wasn't part of my story. <laughs> I, I don't think I'm attractive enough. Oh to be yeah, as that's well. bullshit. You are, you are. Yeah. Um, no, but I but when I went and started talking to the psychiatrist and we started having the conversations about mm. it, and you know they started reading the sort of diagno diagnostic um, symptoms and um, things, all 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 to do with that. It was crazy. It was like my life sort of made sense, you know, totally. all, all at once. Is that the same thing that kind of happened? Well, is that, were you diagnosed with bipolar? Yeah, yeah. You're two, right, yeah. Two, yeah. Yes, yeah, same. Yeah, you, look, it, it, I cried when my, psych yeah. my psychiatrist is the founder of Black Dog Institute, Professor Gordon Parker, fantastic man. Yeah. Um, and a fantastic bipolar psychologist called Joe Liederter. Um, yeah. Look, when Professor Gordon... Uh, finally diagnosed me he said amanda usually i'm 80 percent sure my patients are bipolar with you i'm 100 percent." and i burst into tears because i was so happy to finally have a name for the madness you yeah. know for the for the for my behavior because i just yeah. thought well i just thought it's part of me forever you know and it is yeah. part of me forever and i'm sure sure you you feel the same but um when uh, he said to me, when we get you properly medicated, you will finally know who Amanda is. And that, that, those, that sentence set me off on a different path, you oh. know, because I thought I've never really known who I am. I've been drinking, using, um, you know, addiction, addiction is not just drugs and alcohol, it's shopping, yeah. it's sex, it's whatever. And I just used anything to fill that hole, you know? Yeah. 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 Very, very interesting. That emotional hole. Yeah. So um, I imagine, was it sort of the same process as that realisation when you found out about the bipolar stuff and it just sort of made sense mm -hmm. about your life? Was it the same when you 
kind of started talking to someone. I, I'm not sure about how you got sober or mm. when you started just hearing other people's stories about being, mm -hmm. yeah, like having problems with alcohol and the, the mental side of it and everything mm -hmm. that comes along with it. Was it the same sort of moment where you were like, yeah, that's me. That's, that's what yeah. happened. Look, it took a while because, you know, I'd go to my recovery group. So I'm in a 12 step program and I'd hear people share their stories and I'd think, I'm not like that. I didn't go to prison. I didn't lose everything. I didn't end up in hospital. I didn't end up, um, you know, crushing my car and killing someone. I can't relate to these people. But what I did relate to was the emotional pain they were in and the reason, you know, the look, I'm going to say spiritual. I know that might scare some people off, but that, you know, it's being so uh, bereft of any kind of spirituality or, or, faith in anything and I'm not talking necessarily about God but I was just so numb and so sad mm. that I related to their trauma I didn't relate necessarily to being in jail but I was creating my own jail in my head and in my, yeah. in my house you know mm. so yeah and I think that you know denial is a, is a very strong um strong thing I, I was in denial for a long time that I had a problem you know people would say do you think you should stop drinking and I think what everyone drinks everyone parties everyone does this you know yeah, yeah. um true a lot of people do but not everyone's life completely fucks up and yeah. mine was you know, yeah so so, so with all the, because you mentioned at the end that you just kind of got over the adult industry and everything mm. that was happening in your life was, mm -hmm. was, you know, the adult industry and, you know, certain things that come along with that sort of mm. playing into your addiction or not really, it was just a, a, a kind of circumstance of just your life overall or, or mm. what was it? Yeah. It's really complex. It's a great question. It's really complex because I wasn't drinking because I was in the adult industry. You know, yeah. I still believe there's nothing wrong with my job. I, yeah. you know, I'm 49 years old. If I want to work as an escort, I can. Um, it was more the guilt and the shame I was dealing with and feeling bad about myself. The job itself, I really enjoyed. You know, I didn't feel I had to get trashed with clients. In fact, my clients would die if they saw me drink the way I used to drink you know it's very straighty 180 you know most of my clients drank water um but I guess Samantha in in a way the Samantha the escort you know I talk about mm. her in the third person so forgive yeah. me for sounding like a wanker <laughs> um she she was much stronger than me much more confident than me and when I became Samantha I didn't need to drink alcohol I didn't need to be someone else but when I became when I was Amanda the real me that's when the guilt the shame um the pain, that's where the pain was. You know, mm -hmm. there was no pain in Samantha. I loved my job. It was exciting. It was thrilling. Sure, there were bad days, but, you know, it was more me trying to deal with everyday life yeah. and trying to accept who I was, you know, and, yeah. and the harshest critic of, myself, of me was always myself. Yeah. Yeah, really interesting. So there's a lot of talk at the moment about, like, addiction um, and, you know, how strongly related it is to, like, trauma and, you know, mm -hmm. things like that. Is that the same as in your story is that is that how you understand it for yourself that you know it was a attempt to kind of escape escape emotional pain or do you think about mm. you know kind of addiction in a in a different way look to begin with uh, you know it was to have fun yeah and you know <laughs> to let my hair down have fun relax um and then the more I went through in life the more that I used alcohol for num a numbing agent and yeah. it stopped becoming fun. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't drinking every day. And this is why I really struggle with the word alcoholic for me personally, because I mm. wasn't, you, you know, alcoholism or alcoholics are not necessarily paper bag park bench drinkers. Mm -hmm. It could be people like me who binge drink, you know, once a weekend yeah. and then feeling so shit for four days and then promising you never do it again and then doing it again. Mm. Um, but yeah, look, I was going through a lot and I was isolating Yeah. and, you know, I wasn't opening bills. I wasn't being very present. Um, yeah. I had suicidal thoughts, idol idolization, and it scared me about where I could go, Yeah. you know? So, yeah. And I, I always say to people, if you don't think you have a problem with alcohol and drugs, try giving up. <laughs> you know, I love it's that. It's not yeah. easy. It's yeah. not easy because then you have to deal with life sober yeah. and that's the hard part. You know, yeah. in a way, giving up's the easy part. The hard part is is living a sober life and not yeah. not having one. Because yeah. I can't just have one. So Yeah, it's really I funny. don't know I, what your story is, Jeff. Well well, I remember when I got sober, someone someone said that to me. They said, um, 
you know, if I told you that you weren't like a like an addict anymore, um, what would be what would you do? And I was like, probably use drugs and drink alcohol. <laughs> and they were like, well, there you go, you know. So yeah, um, yeah, exactly, exactly. So okay, so that's really interesting. So so you struggle with the word alcoholic and thinking about. Um, addiction in that format more because mm-hmm. of what that word kind of is stereotyped and sort of attached to is that well, right I, yeah well I, I just you know I sit there and I question am I an alcoholic you know what is an alcoholic am I an alcoholic it doesn't matter you know mm. the fact is my life is better sober yeah it doesn't matter how I define myself you know yeah. I do say I'm an alcoholic I go to meetings where I identify as an alcoholic you know I am in Alcoholics Anonymous and I, I sat there for the first year going I'm not an alcoholic I'm not an alcoholic yeah but uh, I had a problem with drinking yeah you know and the problem was me yeah <laughs> and um, I had a problem in the way that I drank for unhealthy reasons and yeah. You know, my my sort of rock bottom was me standing at a hotel window in Melbourne, looking out the window, realising that the reason why hotels don't let you open the window is because of people like me who will jump out. And I thought, shit, you know, I don't... Someone, my best friend said, you don't have to live like this. You'd never have to pick up a drink again. And I thought, what? That that didn't even occur to me that you didn't have to drink ever again. I didn't even realise that was an option. Um, But I went to a few meetings and... You know, like I said earlier, I didn't relate necessarily to the stories. I related to the pain. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you got to the point where, yeah, you were you were suicidal and just yeah. in a really bad place. Yeah, I was in a really bad place. And it was when, um, it was a sort of time Charlotte Dawson, um, you know, um, suiciding. Yeah. Um, that famous model who actually used to go to yoga in my class, Annalise Brackensett, she was found dead in her apartment in Bondi, suspected overdose, Um, whatever. We don't know really what happened. And I was sort of, I was heading in that direction, Mm -hmm. you know, like on the the outside, I'd written two best-selling books. I was in the media. I had an escort agency. You know, I was controversial, but I was, you know, had it all. I was, I I had, you know, I was making a lot of money. Um, I was driving a convertible car. but on the in in the inside, on the inside, I was um, dying. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So interesting, interesting. Yeah. So okay, so even though you had all this like extreme emotional pain going on, the mm. the problems with alcohol, you were still managing to hold your external life mm-hmm. somewhat together, huh? <laughs> totally, I, I, because I, I sort of like. Um, I didn't drink every day, you know, yeah. I didn't necessarily drink every week, but when I did, it was a complete, I was a complete write-off. My world would turn to chaos. Yeah. My cleaner would find me unconscious naked in the hallway. I got thrown out of hotels at 11 in the morning. Yeah. I, I you know, I'd blackout, I'd wake up with bruises. I had no idea how I got, I had no idea how I got home. I was putting myself in very dangerous situations. I was very lucky I didn't get killed, but I just want to make it clear that wasn't as Samantha or as an escort. Like I, that was a very stable part of my life. Yeah. You know, the fact I was Samantha and I created this other character almost was the person that saved me in a way wow. because I didn't have to be Amanda all the time. Yeah. Because you know, yeah. Amanda was a complete fuck up. Yeah. Very interesting, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's very bipolar. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> very bipolar. You know, <laughs> classical bipolar. Yeah. Like literally two, two, you know, polar opposites. Yeah. Yeah. So, so interesting. So... <laughs> Um, so when you got sober, well, actually maybe before I ask you why you left the adult industry, why Mm. did you get involved in it? What, how did, how did that all come about and how did that all start? Um, yeah. Mm. Well, you know, I was always intrigued from, as a journalist, I was always intrigued by that world. So what Um, were you writing about as a journalist? I I wrote, I interviewed strippers, I interviewed sex workers, you know, I grew up in London, so I was interviewing girls like that from a very, from early age. So were you like a cultural sort of journalist, like writing columns about Um, like cultural things happening or or just anything you wanted? Tabloid. I was a tabloid tabloid journalist. Yeah. Um, But I was so, you know, I loved men and I was so fascinated and I realised as a woman, uh, and I've said this lots of times, we have power. And I realised I had power over men, as all women do, from an early age. Yeah. You know, uh, a man stopped me in the street to give me flowers when I was about 17. Um, you know, and I had <laughs> I had been assaulted as well a few times, you know, wow. like a, a builder in my house, my family home, 
you know, tried to give me what gave me a massage and when I was 13, you know, and I just realized I was exposed to men very early on. Yeah. Um, and then we used to go to France as a family and I used to see street workers uh, in, in the South France. And to me, I remember I'm thinking as a, you know, 15, 14 year old child, they were so pretty. And I was just, I thought, what are those women doing? And, you know, so I was just so intrigued. And then when I became a journalist and I interviewed strippers and they were actually, I was expecting them to be, you know, complete mess, but they were actually very smart, educated. Some were putting themselves through college. Others were single moms, et cetera. I, it made, it sort of like fine tuned my intrigue, my curiosity. Yeah. And, um, and then in my, I never did it before. I was too, always too scared. And then in my late thirties, after a separation, I just thought, yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to try and do. It. I actually think I'm the sort of person that could do this because I can separate sex and love. Yeah. I was never very good at relationships. Um, yeah. I got sick, sick of dating in my late thirties. I was a single parent, fifty fifty yeah. custody, and I was sick of working twelve hour days. Yeah. For not much money so i and i was sick of men ghosting me and letting me down so i thought you know what fuck it if and i've always said this if a man's gonna waste my time he can pay for it so in my late 30s what did i have to lose you know i didn't want to get married i did not want to have more kids i didn't yep. want to date so i made the controversial decision to uh, become an escort and did you because yeah you uh, well <laughs> You've written books about it, obviously, but mm. you seem quite open about it. Were you open about it right from the start with like family no. and things like that? No. no. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, you know, sometimes I do question why I was so open about it and, you know, why I put my name to the books. And part of me, I would never blame bipolar. You know, I would never mm. say, oh, I'm, you know, it was because I, I'm bipolar. I think I was in some kind of mania at the time. I know I was. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, I was almost on this roller coaster ride and you probably understand that being bipolar mm. and I couldn't get off even if I wanted to and I wouldn't have listened to anyone anyway yeah you know and so I thought well as a journalist if I write my books and I you know write them anonymous, anonymously I'll get outed so mm. I wanted to own that and I saw nothing wrong with it I had no shame about what I was doing and I really didn't think it'd be that much of a big deal but it was and yeah. in hindsight you know, would I do it again? I, I'm not sure. I don't regret it, but I'm not sure I would do it all again. I'm not right. sure. Yeah, really interesting. So what? So is is it just because of all the shit that's come along with it, like in terms of like how how people think about the adult industry and mm. escorting and, and then all the stuff that's kind of come against you personally or is it, mm. is it, is it something else? It's just you just you just wish that you weren't fully open about it. Mm. Um, in, a, in an op-ed book, yeah. <laughs> Look, um, I have made my life hard. Um, you know, I've sort of done a bit of self-sabotage, which is very me. Mm -hmm. um, it has brought um, shame upon certain members of my family that I no longer have contact with. Yeah. Um, and, if, you know, it's it's such a shame that that is the case. Yeah. Um, it has hurt members of my family. I understand it's not easy for people to understand. Yeah. Um, however, it has taught me so many things, resilience, compassion. You know, I really understand men and I, and I love men a lot more from being an escort than I did. You know, I feel yeah. I understand men. Um, and I know my journey has helped a lot of women as well in the industry um, or not in the industry. I know that, that um, I, well, I get messages from women all the time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, look, I truly believe we lead the life we're meant to lead. And this was my journey without wanting to sound like American. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, look, it, you know, it is it, uh, the writing was on the wall, really. I was I think I was always meant to do it. So, yeah. you know, I didn't do it quietly. I did it. You know, and, and, when I, <laughs> and when I came out 10 years ago, Jack, um, there weren't sex workers writing columns in newspapers. No. We we didn't have this, um, you know, you can't say anything these days for risk yeah. of offending someone. You know, it really was a really big deal. No one really knew of any public sex workers. And I was yeah. one, not the first, but one of the first people to really put their face to it and yeah. to uh, talk honestly about it. Yeah. You know, in in hopefully a really rational way. Yeah. Um, 
because I didn't know anyone in the sex industry. I had no, I, I, you know, when I became an escort, I didn't know a soul who did this. Yeah. I did it all myself, you know. And it was probably like for you, I, I don't know, I'm just assuming, um, mm. but, you, you know, it, it's just, I think it's just how other people think. I, I just think, you know, like looking at you, you look, you, you just look, look like quite a normal lady, you know, that you would see. So probably when you a come lady. out there with this, sto- yeah. with this story, everyone's yeah. like, what? holy fuck, this is what it is, a sex work? You know, yes. all that sort of stuff, yeah. Well, it certainly challenged people's perceptions of sex workers, you know, <laughs> and yeah. mine also, that when I met women in the industry, I, you know, I had this preconceived judgment that they were all going to be, you know, ironically speaking, drug addicts or, you know, women that had no choice but to do this, women who, yeah. you know, couldn't string a sentence together, blah, blah, blah. Um, and the women I met were there because they chose to be there Mm. and they enjoyed the job and uh you know some were professional some had left corporate like me to to be an escort some were putting themselves through uni some were single mums etc 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 they're just normal women you know they're just normal women Mm -hmm. and that's what really intrigued me as a journalist as well but also that's really why I had no shame myself about putting a face to it because I wanted people to know that there are normal women in the industry, you know. Yeah. And it's a, it's very uncomfortable. And I said this the other day to people. It's very uncomfortable, I think, for people, for society to realise that sex workers are just normal people and yeah. it's just a normal job, you know. Yeah. It's a much easier to think that we're all mad, uh, you know, drug-fucked messes. Mm. Um, oh, look, I became that later on, but that was nothing to do with the job. Um, you know, it's, I think it's more comforting for people to think that rather than to, to actually realise that we are normal. I mean, we are educated. We, we we do have normal jobs. We have normal relationships. We have yeah. children. We have, you know, blah, blah, blah. And clients are also normal men. Mm. You know, yeah. they're just normal guys. It's just, an, it's just a job. Yeah. It's just a job. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, it's really interesting. What kind of feedback do you get when you say that? Like, it's just a job. Do people have like almost like a visceral reaction to? No, I, you know, the, I, I really have not had much judge. I mean, look, people can say what they want. The Daily Mail readers are always going to be Daily Mail readers. You could put a poster, <laughs> a, a story about a cat on there, and someone will go. But it's not a dog. What kind of cat owner are you? You know. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, I do. I in my day to day life. You know, I've, I've known the same people for 20, 30 years, you know. No one really gives a shit about what I did or what I do or, you know, how I made my money. Um, but, of course, there is judgment there, and I, I'm healing from that. Um, yeah. But, yeah, my response to, to people when they ask, that their response is intrigue more than yeah. anything else. They're intrigued. Yeah. If they're men, they say, could I be an escort? <laughs> and if they're women... They tend to say, oh, my God, really? Tell me more. I'd love to do that. You know, I think most yeah. women at some time of their life have thought about it, but not all women do it. And not all women can do it. You know, it's certainly not a job for everybody, and I certainly wouldn't recommend it to women. Hmm. So so a couple of things just like about the industry. So, so you mentioned there that, you know, and I have no idea, but you mentioned there that, you know, there was a, there's this perception, but, you know, most of the women that you meet uh, are there doing it because they 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 want to be essentially. Um, mm-hmm. How much of a power imbalance kind of exists, though? Like, would you say if if any, you know, because obviously there's kind of naturally crime inter mm-hmm. intertwined within you know all these kind of spaces. Um, mm-hmm. How much of that exists versus what you experience with mm-hmm. you know women wanting to be there and do it? Mm-hmm. Um, and and how many women would you say? Um, and then I've got a question about men as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but but how many women would you say uh, maybe maybe say that they want to do it, but it's kind of as a result of like them mm-hmm. overall being not not having the same opportunities, I guess, in some spaces, mm-hmm. and maybe turning to sex work because that's a mm-hmm. that's a good opportunity for them. You know, does that sort of uncomfortable conversation exist or 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 not really like um well actually it's it's more that they have a job and they try sex work and they realize they get more money yeah and work less hours and have more fun doing sex work than they do studying or or you know working i mean i even had a doctor Mm. who who gave it up to be a sex worker now that to me is a dangerous way of thinking because you know, I would hate for young girls to listen to this and go, oh, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a sex worker. You know, fuck my job. It's, um, I certainly don't recommend young girls become escorts or sex workers. I, I really don't. Um, yeah. You have to be very mentally strong. Um, 
look, I can only talk about my experience because that's all I've lived. You know, I've mm. heard stories. I've met lots of other sex workers, but the sex workers I've met are women who have come to me because they want to be sex workers. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, I mean, I've had women who work in government. I've had women who work for the DAX department. I've had doctors. Yeah. Um, I've had celebrities. I've had all types of, I've had mums. I've had, you know, finance women. All types of women who have contacted me saying I want to be an escort, um, mm. and they're mostly older women. You know, if a young girl contacts me and says that, I, I would discourage her. Yeah. To be honest. Yeah. Um, it's it's not an easy way out, and it will stay with you for life. And it's an incredibly hard industry to leave. Mm. And you know, I, I I I you know I I was I had a very privileged experience as a sex worker. You know, mm. I charged thousands of dollars. I wrote books. I was seen as a celebrity escort. Blah blah. Um, but not everyone is fortunate enough yeah. to build that brand or business. And, of course, there are women, young girls, women, who um, are not being treated as well. But there's a massive, massive difference between trafficking and escorting. You know, yeah. sex, sex work is legal in this country. Yeah. Um, there are rules and regulations. There's safety protocols. We have support groups. You know, we have rights. But sex trafficking is a very, very different beast. And I don't know much about sex trafficking because I've never been exposed to it. I've never met anyone who is sex trafficked. You know, I wouldn't even know where to start in that yeah. discussion. Um, yeah. But as people compare the two and there's really no comparison, yeah. you know. So, yeah, re- really interesting. So, and and I wanted to ask as well, because I've heard this a few times. Um, is there, you know how in society we kind of talk about... Um, if you like the pay gap between men and women in, yes. in the jobs that they do, does that exist the same in the sex industry? Yes. You know, because I, I, I've heard from a lot of women that, yeah, like a, a um, wanting to hire a, a male sex worker, mm. that they're just the male sex workers charge so much more than the on average than the female sex workers. Is that true? No. Um, that's no, not true. Not true. No, okay. not true. Far from the truth. Men cannot and do not charge as much as women in this industry. Wow. You know, uh, it is the one of the only industries that women charge a lot more. Yeah. Um, you know, I was charging a lot of money. Yeah. Um, lots of other women charge a lot of money um, and men pay it. Yeah. You know, whereas male escorts tend to charge about half what female escorts charge. Yeah. There you go. Interesting. Why are you thinking about a job change, Jack? That's right. Yeah, I think I might <laughs> jump in and give it a crack. <laughs> no, I'm just. It's just interesting because, well, I'm sure you're out there talking about it. You're doing all your all mm. your columns and stuff and and mm. books and all of that. But still, I would say that all these conversations, and I don't know if you'd agree, it's just it's still taboo in a, in a lot of ways. You know, of what course, I mean? and people you know, feel uncomfortable about it. Of course, and. I will always, I've said this on my Instagram recently, I will always be that girl, you know, like I, I can come out and become a nun, yep. but I'll always be that girl that became an escort, you know, yep. and, and someone said to me, actually, <laughs> made some little snippy comment under one of my posts, <clears throat> aren't you, you know, like, don't you just want to put it all behind you now and talk about something else? Well, I can't help what I get asked about, you know, yep. and sure, I can talk about, you know, if I become a Pilates instructor, my Pilates, you know, whatever, but people are always still going to be fascinated by the sex industry, they always will be, mm. it's still mysterious mysterious it's still intriguing I'm intrigued by it and I've been in you know I lived it yeah and I lived it and so many men and women live in it because they are intrigued and they know it's a mysterious world Mm. um and once you see it you can't unsee it yeah and it's a bit like sobriety once you've been sober and you and you drilled in the programs drilled into you or you know, you know how great sobriety is. It's really hard to go back drinking, knowing yeah. that that sober life exists. Yeah. You know? True, very true. Once you know that, you can't unknow it. 100%, 100%. Mm. Um, it's it's really interesting. I interviewed a, a, a lady on this podcast named Jenny Valentish, English background as well. Mm. But she, yeah, has a addiction story and wrote a book that did pretty well a while ago. Mm-hmm. It's called Women of um, Substance. And... I've heard um, of that, yeah. Yeah, and and it kind of talks about what you were just highlighting, which is, and I think it's interesting. And I remember, you know, from back in my time when I was going to like recovery meetings and stuff, it's like mm. sort of the things that men do in addiction, even though it's all kind of bad, the stuff that kind of comes along with it, you know, maybe on, 
again, on stereotyping, but, you know, mm. the robbing, the stealing, the mm-hmm. all that is kind of glorified as, you know, like that sort of gangster call type yeah. thing. But then by nature, the things that maybe might come along on average stereotyping that, that women might do that comes along with addiction is kind of stigmatising, you know what I mean? And it just mm. makes it so much like harder to kind of break through and, and get recovery it just adds another level mm. and another barrier of, and, of and shame I'm, and discrimination it, really yeah it, exactly and it's the same in the sex industry when women <clears throat> become escorts with sluts and whores when men That's become right. male escorts there's you know hilarious movies on it or if they're strippers right. it's like you know is it magic men or, or whatever yeah magic called. mike yeah or magic yeah, yeah. mike you know it's seen as fun and they're crazy and they're gigolos you know it's yeah. all, you know and unfortunately still in 2023 i think that we still have a long way to go um, however, saying that, I've really noticed a shift in the past 10 years. People aren't as shocked about sex workers as they used to be. And yeah. um, the more we keep talking about it, and the same discrimination with addicts and alcoholics and people have, you know, it's just, we're just normal people who yeah. have things happen to us. And, 100%. You know, I don't know. Do you, do you, do you believe that alcoholism is a disease? And... Uh, not anymore. I used to. Right. So, so I got into... Um, recovery yeah through that model and it helped me and changed my life I did it yeah. for you know nearly nine years or something like yeah. that it was yeah. you know, heavily involved but yeah I just I just um just through work and stuff because I work in the drug and alcohol space just yeah. reading a whole bunch of different things just for, for me it got to a point where it was um and what I, I just think whatever works for anybody is great but for mm. me it got to a point where sort of eight nine years down the track I felt like it was actually holding me back and keeping me locked into an identity of like I'm always this broken yes that's always going to be and it's actually been quite powerful for me just to kind of think of it differently and and shift my perspective Um, Mm. and I've found as a result of that you know um, that I've been able to change a lot of things that I weren't that I wasn't sort of happy with in my life. So, mm, so mm. yeah, but it's, it's interesting. So no, I don't is the short answer, but mm. there's definitely parts of it that do make a lot of mm. sense and, mm. you know, are interesting. Yeah. Mm. And, and there are many ways to get sober, you know, yeah. the recovery group, cluster programs aren't for everyone. For me, it worked, it works, but it worked for me too. <laughs> well, it was, and, and it's a great way to get sober, you know, and for, yeah. and for me, particularly, it was the connection side of things, you know, yeah. not isolating, meeting people who, you know, some do have your story, you know, I've met plenty of sex workers in recovery. Um, who still are sex workers, you know, yep. there's, there's sober sex workers out there. And the job, even when I got sober, I was still an escort because mm. it wasn't that, you know, I still enjoyed my job sober as I did yep. having a few glasses of champagne. But, um, yeah, it's interesting because I hear what you're saying, though. I, I definitely hear what you're saying. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to ask you about that, actually. Like, what, what sort of change was it because you got sober and just the mm. overall changes that were happening for you that made you want to change the industry and the career? Like, what was it that made you want to um, get out of it? Yeah, good question as I'm looking at my bank balance. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Why? <laughs> um, hilarious. Yeah. Look, I think being diagnosed with bipolar and being medicated, um, and not needing to create a character in my life to hide behind, you know, yeah. um, being quite happy and working on Amanda. And again, I I feel such a wanker talking about myself like this, but um, not not needing to hide behind Samantha and yeah. um, wanting to have a relationship one day and wanting to heal because um, for me, the job... I could do the job because I could disassociate. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't want to disassociate anymore. Yeah. You know, I wanted to be present. And that's something sobriety gave me. Because if you're drinking and using or whatever, you're never really present. You can disassociate. But I didn't want to disassociate. And I didn't want to be Samantha. And I just wanted to have a healthier, a healthier way of life. For me, you know, like I'm not saying for everybody... People do what they want. But for me, I just wanted to live a different life. Yeah. Um, and as for the money, look, money comes and goes. You know, I ha- I used to make X amount. I don't want tax people coming after me. But I used to make X yeah. amount of cash one week. But the next week it was gone because I knew I'd make that again. So I don't have 
thousands of properties or I don't have fa- I've got a little Hyundai now, it's the best car I've ever had. Yeah. You know, I don't need to have that fancy five-star lifestyle anymore. I sold yeah. my house, you know, I live in a unit and it's it's the happy it's the happiest I've ever been. Yeah. You know? Awesome, awesome. So, um, yeah, I, I gave up with sex work, not because there's anything wrong with sex work, not because I couldn't do the job anymore. It's because I didn't really want to do the job anymore. I'd done it for 10 years. I did a good job of it. I love my clients. I had great experiences and I make great friends. Um, but, you know, I still always want to be involved in the industry somehow. And I still see my clients as friends. We still have lunch and dinners together. But, yeah, yeah I want to sort of reclaim my body. Yeah, yeah. Very, very interesting. So... Tell me if this is wrong as well, or maybe mm. maybe you had a different experience, but a lot of people that I've spoken to that, yeah, have been in the sex industry kind mm. of say that it's like a bit of a bubble. I think largely because of maybe the stigma that goes along with it, you know, it's kind of hard to go out and talk to um, people mm. doing other stuff in life and say, hey, I'm a sex worker, and for them to sort of just be accepting of it, you know. Sure, um, meet my mum, yeah. That's right. So, so yeah, mm. d- did you find it – so was that the case for you? Were you just kind of hanging out with a lot of other people in the sex industry and that was no. your life or did you have lots of external connections? No. Yeah, I didn't hang around with anyone in the sex industry. I yeah. had a very normal life. You know, so my, my life as Samantha was – I usually mostly travelled with it, um, whereas my home, my community, my family, my friends – my friends are friends I've had for 30 years, 25, 30 yeah. years in Australia – um, I was a bit, I'm a beach bum. I, I didn't go out. I didn't, you know, I didn't really socialize with other sex workers. Um, yeah. I have a few friends in the industry that I trust. I didn't really trust too many people in the industry. And because I was a target as well, right. uh, for being a spokesperson, uh, one of the spokespeople in the industry, I became a bit of a target mm. from people who thought I was elitist or, yeah. um, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> of course, you're always going to get that, you know, yeah. Um, so I kept myself to myself really. Um, and I still am friends with a few sex workers and I still love, love them and love hearing about their job and we can have a good laugh about it. But no, I, I've always had the same friends for years, you know, and they've accepted me for who I am and none of them are sex workers, you know. So, cause you mentioned at the start, like a big piece for you was like the connection piece Mm. with the sobriety. Was that more just about being able to be like fully open and honest about, how you were feeling and what was going on in your life, that connection piece with with other people mm. in sobriety or what? Yeah. yeah. I don't, you know, in my meetings, I don't discuss the fact that I was an escort, you know. Yeah, sure. You sure. need to share yeah. that. I'm sure some people know who I am, some people don't. Um, but, yeah, it's more, it's more the connection side of things um in in my real life you know I don't I was I I do isolate still a lot you know when yeah. I'm feeling down I don't know whether you still feel down sometimes sure like, yeah <laughs> so I isolate and I can isolate for days yeah um but if I go to a recovery meeting if I go to a meeting yeah I'm I'm connecting with other people and that stuff keeps me sober awesome Awesome. Um, so yeah, that stuff keeps me sober. And yeah. that's amazing. You work in the, in the field now. So what do you do? Well, so we have, um, now we have a, um, like a private, um, uh, service where we just like work with people, uh, individually. Um, so the best way to describe it is it's like, it's like rehab without having to go to rehab. Excellent. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, just, just because of like kind of what you're talking about, we, talk to a lot of people that maybe just don't quite connect with some of the traditional ways of thinking about it. They can't, although they feel like they can't go to rehab because, you know, they've got kids or a job or whatever and they can't just check out. So, um, so we, we do that. And then with real drug talk where we're kind of like a public, I would call it like a public health promotion company with a bit of a street vibe. You know what I mean? So we, we we try and talk in the language um, and have stories like yourself that, you know, connect with people that, um, yeah, that otherwise wouldn't pay attention. Well, that's fantastic. And I (laughs) think, you know, I I probably putting a face to the industry of my industry and you're putting a face to your industry. And I think that's fantastic because it destigmatizes uh, and, 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 you know, people can see it's real people, normal people that have addiction issues. You know, it's not it's not necessarily the homeless person under the bridge. It's it's and, and of course, we all we all could be, you know, anyone can be that homeless person under the bridge. We're just more fortunate than others. And we got help before they did. Yeah. 100%. Um, so, yeah, I think it's great. That, so that's that, what I wanted to ask you, like with what you're doing now, like, have you mm-hmm. been because I saw on on Instagram, I think, mm-hmm. um, 
I hope I'm not outing you. you it was on your story, but you're yeah. over in like <laughs> you're over in like Bali or somewhere. Lo- yes, looked beautiful, yes. and you were you were saying that you were riding. Like, yes. are you are you kind of are you what what what's what's the next um what's what's on the horizon for you um, next? Like, what do you want to do next? Look, I've taken some time off because honestly, being sober and being diagnosed with bipolar and being and healing, I've had to do a fuck of a lot of work of, on myself because if yep. I start going into guilt and shame. And I can't believe what I've done in the past decade. I'm so ashamed. If I go down that path, I will mm. relapse and I can't afford to relapse because I'll fuck everything up. Yeah. So I'm, I, I've spent the past sort of six months really working on myself. Um, I am writing my third book, a novel. Nice. About, yeah. So I'm, um, I've got to do 60,000 words by the end of June. Yeah. Um, and then sell What's it. that one about? It's about the sex industry. Yeah. Yep. So it's a novel this time. So it's about, uh, you know, a few women in the sex industry and their stories. And, of course, I'm going to relate it to everything that I've lived. Um, I'm also, I also coach people. I've done, I've done two NLP courses and I'm currently coaching with the coaching room. I'm doing a, a leadership coaching course. So awesome. um, I find people are still, uh, you know, they still come to me because of what I've been through. And I think also people who are, you know, you can't just go straight from uni to become a coach. I think life experience is really you know, it's like being a drugs and alcohol counsellor without having done a line of coke or, you know, smoked a <laughs> joint. You, you know, you've got to know what you're talking about, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and um, and I'm working on a few TV projects. So my life rights have been optioned by Mondo Studio Films in Melbourne. And um, wow. I'm a co-creator to a TV series about my life. It's a drama, a, a funny yeah. drama. Yeah, wow. So it's, yeah, a lot, but it's all lot, lots of little things. And look, you know, it's so it's so hard and it's so hard not to go back to the sex industry and not to yeah. go and, you know, and that, that, that carrot will always be dangling. And that's, mm. again, a day-by-day process. You know, so it's one day at a time. Yeah, 100%. Mm. Well, mate, you're a very interesting, but I must admit, Sorry. like, inspiring person to, oh, you know, be you. able to, like, just listening to your story. And some people probably wouldn't get it, but, you know, not not on the level of you, but having done a little bit of media around a topic where there is like you know stigma around it, it's it's like it's fucking challenging, you know. And it I haven't even done a quarter of much stuff as you. So so yeah, it, it is it is very inspiring. What what would you say mm-hmm. to people? Super cringe and cliche question for mm-hmm. people that listen to this. What would you say to them? They're thinking about you know getting sober, making a change in their life, um, mm. what do you say to people? Uh, well, it's funny because I get more messages now about sobriety than I do about my escort, escorting, you know, awesome. and I think when I became, when I came out as sober, more people were more fascinated about that. I guess my advice to people is that you deserve better, you know, and yeah. if you want to get sober, you don't, you don't have to drink or take drugs. You know, yeah. there is an option of not doing that. And yeah. You know, there is a whole world out there. There are whole communities out there that are sober. When I, before I got sober, I thought my life would be over and I'd be boring and, you know, that was it, that my life was over. It just begins, you know, and I've got some more self-respect for myself and, and you deserve that too. And um, no one regrets getting sober. Yeah, 100%. No, I've not heard anyone say, fuck, I wish I was still using and drinking. <laughs> That's you know? right. And to the vein out there, because I am vain, it also, you know, you, 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 um, what's the right word? You, uh, when you drink, you age decades. Yeah. And so when you stop drinking, you look 10 years younger. So if that's inspiration enough to stop drinking, then God, try it, you know. That's a hundred percent. That's a hundred percent true. You, you 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 come back to the land of the living, and your skin you starts do. glowing. Your skin starts glowing. You lose weight. People start commenting on your eyes and you know your nails, your hair. So you know, and I don't have as much Botox these days because I'm healthier. So if that's not enough to get you sober, forget it. Oh, I love it. Mate. I love it. Well, hey, we're gonna do round two um, sometime in the future and hear where you're at. Maybe when the book comes out. Um, oh, I'll be married by then. You know, I'll be like some multi-millionaire. Living. Oh, you can interview me from a private jet. Joking. Okay. Yeah, okay. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> I'll, I'll come jet. on board. No worries. Yeah. Thank, thanks for coming on, mate. Appreciate it. Thank you it. so much. 
Okay, there it is, beautiful people. Another episode of Real Drug Talk, locked away and in the bank. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Amanda Goff. Uh, she's a star, love her. She's great, um, very inspiring. Um, as I said at the end there, yeah, to, to stand up and kind of talk about a taboo subject that has stigma and discrimination around it and everything that kind of comes with that. Um, yeah, it's really brave and, in, and inspiring and it's really cool that... Um, she stands up and shares her story whether you agree with it or not um, is kind of not really the point I think um, it's it's just very interesting that there's people out there now with new media and all the different things happening in the world um, you know kind of shining the light on a very real part of society that occurs and happens and you know is in the conversation so um, thank you to Amanda for coming on that was great um, look forward to having her back on the show again soon um, Hope you guys are enjoying all the content and the episodes coming out. Now, as we said in the last show, uh, unlike other podcasts and other social media channels, ours is not free. Now, what I mean by that is you don't have to pay with money, um, but we put a lot of effort and energy into you know, producing this shit, putting it out there. So we're asking you for the social payment um, of following, subscribing, liking, leaving reviews, sharing with other people, all that kind of stuff. So if you um, listen to our show um, and like what we're putting down and putting out, uh, we would really appreciate it if you could, if you're listening on, say, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, go over to YouTube and give us a subscribe. If you're um, listening on YouTube, go over to um, the podcast services and give us a subscribe. If you're listening on Spotify, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe there. Hit us up on social media, follow us on TikTok, Instagram. Um, we're investing heavily on Instagram um, at the moment. Um, still posting up on TikTok and stuff, but Instagram is where we want to get it going down on as well as YouTube. Um, so yeah, go and give us a follow there. As I said, um, this is what we call the gentlemen's and ladies agreement. Um, we call it that because it's under the table. I can't tell if you're doing it, but it's just going to sit in your soul and rest on your conscience for the rest of your life if you don't do it <laughs> knowing that me and my team put in all this hard work to put out this content that you love and enjoy and you're not following us and subscribing to us all right so there you go there's a fucking guilt trip at the end of the show <laughs> um no but uh, in all seriousness we really appreciate um everybody following and listening to us um and we hope you like what we're putting out it's really cool to just be able to have these platforms and channels and and you know throw our two cents into the world so we appreciate you taking the time to listen and hopefully it helps and yeah if you can like and subscribe on the different channels um, and leave a review what it really does is help us to yeah hack the algorithms get out there um, and you know potentially get into the feeds of people that are out there searching for help and, and looking for something different all right so um, thanks again guys really appreciate it we have a whole bunch of stuff but we're going to try and make the podcast a little bit more succinct moving forward um, and as I said we have a lot um, happening at the moment but we do have some more frequent shows coming so keep your eyes and ears tuned for that as well enjoy your week guys stay safe please reach out um, and get in contact um, uh, we're here to chat and support and help in any way that we can and uh, have a good day guys peace